Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Natalie Y. Beavers. Natalie is the founder of Angels of Epilepsy, which is an organization that raises awareness of seizure disorders. She herself lives with epilepsy, and she's got quite a story to tell. So Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much. It's such a pleasure chatting with you. Um, some of the people who are tuning into the show today may know that we've also been partnering on a, a resource project for the Spoonie community. So it's really awesome to be able to not only work with you and partner with you, but collaborate with you in this way in the interview today. Yes, yes. Thank you so, so much. It's great to be part of you guys. Thank oh, you so gosh. Of course, of course. So happy to have you. So let's start at the very beginning, as we always do. I would love it if you could tell us when and how you first realized you had something going on with your health and what you've done to take control of your health since. Um, I had epilepsy, and I've been dealing with epilepsy for um, almost 40 years now. Going through dealing with um, epilepsy and even those who just basically live with other, um, not only just epilepsy, but other, um, other neurological conditions. Other, only thing I could really, really say is we still have to learn so much about what is it that we could do. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about HIV or AIDS or um, just any other type of uh, disease or medical condition. It's about what can we do to step and, and, and know how to come together and learn the best that you can to, to, uh, get get used to enjoying each other point blank mm. point mm. blank it, it, it's 
hard. Yeah. So it sounds like you were diagnosed when you were really young. You were about three years old. Um, I was actually five years old. Okay. And, um, I was my parents. I had a very high temperature, and my parents told my um, my mother told my dad that you know she needs to go to the hospital, and I went to the doctor, and they stated that she has a very very extreme um, temperature. I, I started to temporarily have the seizures, right, and that really scared uh, my parents and my family. And it constantly took different types of medications as well as just different tests. Mm. And they saw a, on the left side of my brain, they saw a scar that was the size of a dime. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's where they stated that she is diagnosed with epilepsy. And that's when they gave me the different medication wow. to deal with it from uh, five years old-ish. Five yeah. years old all the way up until whatever. But I, I experienced dealing with so many different types of procedures. You know, wow. um, there are so many different types, like so many different types of seizures. It was crazy. Yeah. And um, it, it was just amazing. And I, I mean, it's interesting that you also say that the, the doctors noticed a scar on, on the left side of your head. So does that mean that maybe you had bumped your head or something when you were little and that may have caused the seizure disorder? I should have, I could have had epilepsy as a little child, but I did, it didn't come out as high as when I became 12 years old. I mean, oh. five years old, five. So it's kind of tricky, but on the age of five years old, that's when I was actually right uh, diagnosed. So you might've been having smaller seizures that maybe no one noticed up until that point, And we're not entirely sure what the cause is, but you've been having all different kinds of seizures ranging in severity, length, origin ever since then. That's correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned to me before we hit record on this thing um, that you have in the past had surgeries. So I know that you mentioned that you've had taken medications as part of your treatment. What does the treatment regimen look like for you? Are you still getting seizures now? Um, and have you had more than one surgery? What's that all played out as? Um, yes, I still take medication. Um, but at one point I did... Um, Stop taking medication, and that was around before um, I went to high school. Mm. And right after my middle school, up until high school, I had no seizures at all. Mm. And they stated that, okay, Natalie, you don't have to take any more medication. You have started, um, you know, you don't, we're going to take you off of the uh, medication because you have drawn out of your seizures. Hmm. But after uh, my uh, uh, freshman year Hmm. in high school, my seizures came back. Wow. And so it was, it it varies when it comes to epilepsy. Hmm. And it was, it's it's quite hard um, to be honest with you. Um, And it varies for many people. There are also some people that I know who have, had 25 years free 
and then they go back into having epilepsy. So again, it could vary. Mm. It sounds like we don't know enough about epilepsy itself. I mean, we're going to get into this, but it sounds like research is lacking because we're, we're not understanding enough about what's going on, what's causing the seizures, why they continue to happen, why they might pause for periods of time. So what led to you having this surgery as well? So you get the seizures back in your sophomore year of high school Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you had to go back on medication and stuff from that point? Yeah, I went on, um, went on medication, but I also, um, because it, it, I was afraid a lot, and I also did my own research um, as I became older. Um, and my doctor stated to me at my doctor at the time, um, they told me they did um, an exam, and they stated that you stated that when you were five years old that you had a scar on the left side of your brain, the size of a dime. But now, um, by you being 28 years old at this time, that scar is not the, the size of a dime. It is now spreading across your uh. lobe. And I'm shocked about it. And I'm like, are you serious? They said, yes, your the, the damaged tissue has it, it's completely on your left temporal lobe. And then they say, do you know you have a cyst on the back of your brain? So this is something that's been growing this whole time and no one's been checking. Great. We did not know. And that's when the doctor at the time advised myself to go see an even more specialist. Mm. This was at Emory University. And we would like to have a first surgery mm. first where we would put the um, information on your um, brain first where the implants will be on top of the brain. and then Oh, I see. Okay, so they were going to put implants in to stop the seizures? Correct. And it will be on the surface of the brain. And then after that, months later, that's when they will go in and remove the damaged tissue on the brain. Interesting. They, they did do that, but they did not remove the, um, the cyst. Because they said if they go near it, I could be paralyzed. So oh, Wow. And is, do we know if the cyst is progressive at all? Like, is this something you still have? They, I still have the cyst and they said that, um, thank God that it will not grow or okay. anything like that, but they still have to just make sure that it's okay. But they said they know that it will not like grow or anything like that. So. Become worse. So but, now you've had the one or the two surgeries, the one where you've had the implants put into the surface of the temporal lobe and then where you've had this damaged tissue that had expanded this sort of scar tissue removed, right? Right. So you've had those surgeries. Has that helped reduce the occurrence of your seizures because of that? And have you had to also supplement with medication? Yes. Um, Since I've had the uh, brain surgery, it has decreased my seizures. It really has. Mm. honestly think that um, due to the cyst that's on my brain, I believe due to that, that's the reason. I believe it's about 20% while I still have my seizures. Um, wow. So the brain surgery, it helped a lot, period. Mm. It helped a lot. It did. Yeah. yeah. So did you find that like along this journey, I mean, I know you were diagnosed as a kid. 
were your parents showing up as your personal advocates when you were a child going through this? Or have you sort of learned to become your own advocate as a patient throughout this experience? My parents and myself, like, did not come in advocates until um, I became older, mm. um, right when I had my soft, my uh, freshman year in college. And when I decided to say, hey, I really need to see a specialist. And that's when my father said, I'm going to be right with you so we can all see what's mm. going And once they spent all that time with me uh, at the hospital and so forth. And, you know, even after the brain surgeries, they learned so much just of me. And that's when I said, I'm going to advocate. I'm going to do this. Even um, before my final brain surgery, um, I made the decision to start a charity. Mm. And, and that's when my my family, they said, let's do it. Let's just go for it because, you know, there are many people that need help. Yeah. I said, absolutely. I believe, especially, especially with this particular medical condition, there are people, there are medical charities out there that deal with epilepsy, but there aren't enough. And that's mm. what makes me say, I have to get in and do, do it some kind of way. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. So you really did learn to become your own advocate, but not until you were an adult. And it sounds like, you know, your parents were showing up for you at appointments. Your dad was there with you. So has that deepened your relationship with them because of that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Especially my dad, my um, birth mom, she passed away in, uh, in, uh, 2004, Mm. but my dad, he definitely, you know, he always wants to make sure that you know, when it comes to my seizures or anything like that, he wants to want it to make sure everything is okay. But I really just like the fact of him learning about epilepsy and learning more about it and his wife as well, learning more about epilepsy and also teaching others about it, giving advice, mm-hmm. also being that advocate on the part of the parent part. He, he yeah. just teaching the, you know, giving advice to the parents. Yeah, you know, to other caregivers. Yeah. So That's beautiful. Absolutely great on that part. Yeah. So what does a typical day look like for you as you're, you know, balancing the demands of work and life, which are busy and not at all simple, you know, and trying to prevent the recurrence of your seizures? Do you know certain triggers that you're able to avoid throughout the day? Do you know what to do when you have a seizure? How have you had to build your life around your condition? Hmm. Well, I am a mother. I have two boys. Wow. Yeah, I have two boys. And I just uh, dropped my baby boy off in Alabama. um, Excuse me, not in Alabama, Virginia, um, in college. Wow. They they know a lot when it comes to my seizures. Hmm. And... It's like, I would say on a day-to-day basis, because I still, I still take my normal prescriptions and so forth. I'm also a cannabis advocate. I Mm. have my, uh, I do have my um, registration for my cannabis oil. So I also take that as well. Um, Lately, um, just last week, rather, I have been four months seizure-free. 
That's amazing. Wow. Congratulations. So I am so happy, Mm. but what I have, what I'm doing. And again, I also think too, we're dealing with this COVID-19 crisis, right? And I'm not doing as much as I usually do. Mm. If we didn't, if, if our life was normal as it usually be, I would be traveling. Yeah. Speaking at this place, going to this place, you know, having this event here and doing all of this. But again, the COVID-19, we're doing a lot of work majority at home. Yeah. So it, 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 it's a lot, you know, as far as kind of just staying put. But um, meditation has helped me so much. Mm. Meditation has helped me so much when it comes to my uh, epi- my seizure activity. It's and really, I, yeah, it's interesting because you're using holistic methods. You're using the, the CBD oil and the meditation. Like it's not just about throwing medication or a surgery on the problem. It's a, a whole lifestyle that you have to adopt in order to prevent recurrence. That is right. Absolutely. Yeah. So have you also been in situations where, I mean, this is an invisible condition, right? Like we don't know that you have a seizure condition until you have the seizure or until you tell us, right? Have you been in situations where you've been confronted and forced to justify the fact that you had this invisible condition to someone who didn't understand it because they couldn't see it, be that a practitioner, friend, family, or otherwise? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, too, um, I also, there are many people that they have asked me and stated, how can, should I tell someone that I have seizures or have mm. epilepsy because this is an invisible illness? Yeah. And, and, and years ago, I used to go out on dates, right? And I didn't tell them that I had epilepsy. Well, of course not. On a first date, it's sort of like, how do you, yeah, it's sort of early to tell people some personal but, information. But there were times when I could just have a seizure out of the blue. Right. And they come back at me and say, why didn't you tell me <laughs> that you had seizures? Mm. Why didn't you tell me that that scares me? Yeah, now, that was years ago. But now, if I were to go out on a date with someone, I feel my opinion, I feel that you should tell people up front. And the yeah. reason why I say this is because even on that first date, I could have a seizure right there in front of you. Yeah. And, and then what? So some people could say, what exactly do you do you do or where do you work? And I immediately say, yes, I have a charity entitled Angels of Epilepsy and da, 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 da. And I started the charity because I have epilepsy and blah, blah, blah. It's a great segue into your own personal history yes. for sure. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. And many people that have different medical conditions or illnesses, um, they're, they're misjudged in, yeah. in quite, quite ways. And I, I'm one of them. They're discriminated. Yes. Well, and I'm curious about that too, because when you do tell people about a condition, it can open you up for discrimination. And, you know, is this something where, you know, you are telling people for your safety, but it's a question of your emotional safety 
against discrimination versus your physical safety if you do have this seizure. How are you weighing those things in the balance and deciding who to tell and when to tell them? Hmm. It's hard work, I bet. Yeah, it's hard work, honestly. It's very hard work because even some people that, you know, think about um, teenagers who are in school, Mm. No, they, some of them feel like I'm not telling anyone anything. Also with my charity, there are hus- um, wives that have called and said, I really need for you to talk to my husband because he goes to work and he has not told anyone mm. that he has epilepsy, he has seizures, Right. but they have no clue. But what if he falls down at work? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I honestly think, and many of them say, I will not tell because I will may lose my job. Right. You know, so it's, it's, I, I, my opinion, again, I really truly feel that people should, it's best that they come out to tell whatever illness that they have Hmm. because you never, never know what exactly could happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you mentioned this idea of discrimination and I'm wondering, um, if you've experienced undue prejudice in the healthcare system, particularly because you're a woman of color, right? Can you see maybe that you would have had better care or been taken more seriously if you had maybe been a man or been a white woman um, being diagnosed with the same condition? Would your journey have been different? I think, I think honestly, that, and I've seen it for myself many years ago, how how some doctors have treated uh, certain people dealing with discrimination. And um, I've also dealt with people that I know that have um, a boyfriend that is a different race. And they say, well, why is my boyfriend treated different compared to me when I go to the doctor? And I tell them that's because you are a different color compared to your boyfriend. And it is the absolute truth. But And a different gender. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. also a different gender. Also a different gender. And even if you think about it, people who are who could be gay, who could be a certain gender or anything like that, they are judged. Many people mm-hmm. are judged, but it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. We are all human. Well, would you say that racial and gender inequality in the healthcare system is a public health crisis? I believe it's a health crisis. I honestly believe so. And it must change immediately. It must change immediately. And that's what I really, really, truly hope for. Yeah, absolutely. So has your experience, I mean, we know that you've turned into into your own advocate and become an advocate for others in the creation of Angels of Epilepsy. So can you talk to us about your foundation and about the work that you do as a patient advocate? Yes, Angels of Epilepsy. We help so many people. The goal when I first uh, created, uh, just came up with the idea in general about um, epilepsy um, right before my final brain surgery, um, during the actually during the testing, uh, before my first brain surgery, I met so many people there at the hospital. And that's what gave me the idea because all of us had um, similar stories. And all of us came out and stated, 
do you know any support groups or any groups um, or or, or uh, charities that deal with particularly um, epilepsy survivors? And some people say, well, yeah, we know of this one, but they've kind of brushed us off. And that gave me the idea to say, well, if I do this, I'm going to do it in a completely different way. My mm. charity would be more so of a family. Mm. There are there are charities that say we're going to deal with our charity deals with workshop health seminars. And uh, that's about it. Fundraising, but maybe yeah. education, information, mm. you know, and resources. But there are other platforms other ways that the actual survivors and family needs. And that's why I said my charity would literally give medical ID and alert bracelets that we need. We have an invisible wow. illness, right? Yeah. Our invisible illness, let's give the medical or bracelets because I could, I, I look normal, but I can go to a grocery store and fall out and have a seizure. And some people could look at those with epilepsy as though, is she, is she drunk? Is she high? Is she on some type of PCP or something? No, I have a, I have epilepsy. So that's one of our main goals is to provide the medical ID alert bracelet. Which also. is like, that's a first alert kind of thing. It's such a, a vital part of being a patient with this illness. I mean, so that's wonderful that you're providing that for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing is um, I was involved in a car accident in 2006. I had a seizure while driving. I hadn't had seizures oh. in over like years. Mm. And my baby boy, he was about two and a half years old and um, I was working two jobs. And every Friday I would take my nanny at that time and my baby boy to her house before I go to work. And um, that particular day, uh, I told my nanny, we were in the car singing, and I told my nanny, I said, I don't feel well. I said, I believe I'm I'm going to have a seizure or something. And she stated that after I said that, I was seizing, but I was driving. So she had to take the wheel wow. to save us. But unfortunately, the accident turned into tragic, right? Mm-hmm. That changed my life. After that, again, I went to a mental state dealing with all of that but it also um it also taught me a lot about epilepsy in the brain because i felt like there is so much that i need to learn about the brain to learn about me and i was not the only i'm not the only person that has gone through this so what also what can i do to help and again this was right before my brain surgeries and so forth and by me going into having brain surgeries, then meeting people who had the same, some of them had same stories just like me. So again, the charity, we provide transportation for them. I do not oh, want- wow. Absolutely. I, I do not want anyone to go through what I face. That's gonna, first of all, it's going to help save lives and it's going to, just help make a change because I do not want anyone to go through what I faced years ago. First yeah. of all, you should not drive. If you have a seizure, you should not drive. I'm also hopefully working on a law to be passed. When it wow. Comes, yeah. When it comes to having the seizure and driving, because honestly, 
from state to state, it is so many car accidents that happen due to having a seizure while driving. Wow. So, yeah. So my charity, we do, we actually like do so much. And, and again, we have a lot of workshops and seminars to give, have to give educational information. Mm-hmm. And we also um, uh, have our own advocacy, you know, where many people say, hey, I would love to tell my story, but I'm not sure how to do it mm-hmm. or how I go from here. So we also have our own advocacy team as well, where we can kind of just give them some key points on how to how to be your own advocate. That's incredible. Well, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the way that your advocacy work also reflects what's going on in the healthcare system, right? And Mm -hmm. I'm curious to know from your point of view and your experience um, as an epilepsy patient, in what ways is the healthcare system we have here in the U.S. working for patients, if at all? You're allowed to say it's not. And in what ways does it require improvement, like the passing of laws, to actually protect patients? I think, I, I, I believe there, there are some changes. And I'm actually saying this because due to the recent, you know, the world that we're living in right now, yeah. there there. There is there is need of change, but I do see from some people they say, you know, there has been a lot of change though to, over the past few months due to all of this going on. Because many doctors and facilities have come together to say, hey, we're really going to have to look at, um, you know, the black community, the Hispanics, these minorities, because we really got to take a look at them too, you know. What can we do to, to, to better them? We need to also treat mm. them equal. We also need to treat them as family. Let's mm. sit down and actually talk to them. So I, I think that there is work in several places that need that has to be done. And I think that us as patients, many patients, we should not be afraid to talk to these doctors as well. And if you feel that you're not getting anywhere from uh, one particular doctor, you should be able to go to another one or another one or another one until you get the proper care, the proper communication to move forward. Because any doctor, period, you're paying that person to handle your health and well-being. You're paying that doctor for it, so they should at least respect you on that. But if you're not getting it in return, what can what can you do? Move forward to the next. Call your health insurance and say, "I do you have any other referrals of who I can see?" Yeah, or who yeah. I can deal with? and that's hard because a lot of people don't know that they can seek an, a different provider within their healthcare plan, or you know, even ask about a doctor's cash rate so that they can try to afford care if they're having if they're struggling to do that. So, um, I'm glad you bring that up because it is so important that people understand that they have choice in a system that makes us feel like we're strapped for choice. We have to exercise that right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I also like to get some top three lists from the people who are on my show. And I I was wondering what your top three tips would be for someone who suspects they've got something off. Maybe they've already been diagnosed with epilepsy um, or another invisible condition. What are your top three chronic illness tips for living life uh, fully and, and vibrantly? I would say top three tips is, I would say definitely is 
is, is, is maintaining a healthy life because regardless, some people, again, there's no cure for my medical condition. There's no cure for epilepsy, right? Um, but there are things that could help control it. And um, in my last blog that I have in the Angels of Epilepsy, um, I think it's the May newsletter. Um, we'll have to, we'll link it. I'll have you send it to me and we can link it on the webpage for the episode. Yes, Absolutely. And I talk about how I was, you know, it's surprising to me that I'm three months seizure free. But I realized, again, is it because of the COVID-19 and I'm not as busy dealing with the traveling and all of these events and doing all of this and doing all of that. But I also realized, too, that I'm eating more healthy. Number one, yeah, because we're not eating out as much. We're more in control of our diets. Exactly. We're not eating out as much because if you think about it, if we were out as much working, what are we doing? We're eating out more. And eating on the go, which is not always healthy. Exactly. And also just taking time to like exercise, you know, even if you don't do too much exercise, if you just take a walk just a few times around the block. Which we need to do because we're stuck in the house all day. (laughs) We need to go on those walks. Exactly. <laughs> Out of the house, so why not just take a block, a, a walk mm. around the block, yeah. you know, get some fresh air, yeah. you know, and also, too, again, meditation. I learned about meditation about, I would say, 2014, I believe. So you've been doing it for a few years. Uh, about 2014, and I end up hearing it from... Um, it was a hip hop legend, a female. I saw her on TV and she talked about it. Um, the rapper MC Light. And she said, I started doing, um, meditation. And she said, I just sit outside in my backyard on a rock. And she said, I just let the wind just, you know, just, uh, uh, blow on my face. And I just sit with my legs crossed. And I think of positive thoughts. Also, mm. another one was Russell Simmons. He's also- yes, he's a huge proponent of meditation. Yeah, is another one. And I kept saying meditation, meditation. But here I go. I Google meditation, and I just start reading about it. So I start finding music on Google, and that helped me a lot to like learn about um, meditation. And I do it quite a bit. And it just mm. a lot. It eases. Yeah. So, so those yeah. are. So meditation, exercise, and healthy eating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I guess that also goes along with like trying to find ways to slow down a little bit if right. we can, right? Like that COVID has forced a lot of us to slow down. And maybe that's actually good for us. Yes. And that's what a lot of people said too. They say, you know, a lot of people are complaining, saying they're ready to get back out because of the COVID-19. But sometimes this COVID-19 situation could be telling us that we need to relax. We may Absolutely. need to sit back and think about some things that are very, very important, like our health. Yes, absolutely. We can refocus. What about top three things? I mean, I know meditation is probably on this list, but top three things in your life that give you unbridled joy. This is my favorite question to ask because it really gives us an insight into what makes you 
tick, but things that you're unwilling to compromise on, right? So these can be guilty pleasures, secret indulgences, comfort activities, maybe after you've had a seizure. But what are the top three things in your life that give you the most joy that you turn to when you need a boost? Hmm. Something that I turn to when I need a boost. Something that gives you joy. My children, and I really miss my baby right now. Mm. <laughs> Dropped him off um, in college. Um, he's an athlete. He's a football player. So now wow. it's for the athletes, the football players to go ahead and come. Um, so now you're like dealing with an empty nest for the first time. Yeah. My oldest son, he's around, but he's an adult. You know, he's doing his own thing. And mm. I, I love my baby so much. They always will be my babies, but I know they have to grow up but they are my joy. Um, and, and, and I don't know that that's probably like my main thing. <laughs> the number one thing. What else gives you, I mean, I know your work gives your jo- you joy, your advocacy gives you joy, you know? Absolutely. But one thing too, though, I can't say this and I, I, what I am going to do, hopefully one day, I love to cook. I, I love to cook. And hopefully one thing I do have, if I can get funding um, one day, I will go to culinary art school. Oh, wow. That would be amazing. I love to cook. And I think that's something that I would, I don't want to go and be a chef in a, in a restaurant or anything like that, but I would love to have that under my belt. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. It's another absolutely. feather in the cap. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. What about, what is your ask for listeners who are tuning in today? What can people who are hearing about your experience, learning about angels of epilepsy do to support you and your community in your ongoing work? Hmm. I would say, I would say just keep going, keep um, having just a positive, having a positive outlook on your life and also too if the the, and and I tell a lot of people because I'm an advocate for mental illness I'm an advocate for epilepsy many people with a disability I tell people to write down exactly what you want and I also got this from Steve Harvey's book called jump Ah, okay when if you want to do something in life you really can't do it it's even though you may have a disability, if you put your, you can put an action to something and, and really can do it. It's all about your mindset. You know, you can push for something and you really can do it, but it's all about, are you going to stay motivated and, and keep pursuing? It may not happen when you want to, but it, it can happen, but it's all up to you to keep pushing for it. So just to continue to have that momentum and the courage and that empowerment just to keep going. Don't stop. Yeah, I love that. And obviously to follow Angels of Epilepsy across social. (laughs) Tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, yes. We're on all platforms. We're on Facebook, Angels of Epilepsy Foundation, on Twitter at AO Epilepsy, on Instagram, angels underscore of underscore epilepsy. And uh, we're on LinkedIn, um, Angels of Epilepsy, and also on Pinterest, because we also love to talk about, you know, the, even cooking on there as well. So we're on Pinterest as well, Angels of Epilepsy Foundation. So 
we're pretty much everywhere and we communicate with everyone. When they contact our charity, they can leave messages and everything and we'll get back with them. That's awesome. And what's next in your advocacy journey? I know in your wellness journey, it sounds like culinary school is on the table, but you know, in terms of your advocacy work for angels of epilepsy, as you continue to grow and, and to expand, what, what is the next step? Um, Our goal, we definitely, because there are so many people out reaching to our charity and advocacy, we want to expand and um, have our charity to um, grow into other states. And we want to start in the southern states first, because the um, epilepsy community, there aren't many um, organizations that are in the southern states. And we definitely would like to have Angels of Epilepsy Charity and Advocacy to start in the southern states and even just, you know, go on and and, and move forward in these other states as well. Mm. And And you're Georgia based right now. Yes, we are. Yeah. We do travel and have other um, we have seminars and events throughout in, in different states as well. But many people are asking, we wanted Angels of Epilepsy Inc., in mm-hmm. our state. So I'm chapters, it's time for chapters. Exactly. I'm working on it. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Natalie, is there anything else that you would like to share before I release you into the ether today? <laughs> no, I think, I don't think so. I just really want um, just everyone who is dealing with any type of illness just to stay strong mm-hmm. and just know that you're not battling this quite alone. There are so many other people because many people who are battling certain illnesses, they think they feel like they are alone, but really they're not. And it's always good to connect with different organizations, charities, and different divisions in all these other states and social media to connect with different people and start that family, start that group, and just go from there because you are not alone. That's so beautifully said. Natalie, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I look forward to continuing to collaborate with you and watch Angels of Epilepsy continue to grow. Yes, no problem. Thank you so much, Lauren. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.